Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. We begin today with the scripture reading. If you want to find the Gospel of Luke in your Bible, we're going to read from chapter 10, starting at verse 38. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with some with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. There's a famous proverb that says, familiarity breeds contempt. And I find that in a lot of Christian church attenders, there's a great deal of, of unintentional contempt for the familiar things of the Bible and Jesus. If contempt means nothing else, it at least means lack of appropriate reverence, lack of appropriate respect. Sometimes it's really hard to comprehend that the Bible is God's heart and mind expressed to you in a personal message. It has a universal appeal, it has a, a global quality, but in the end, when you read the Word of God from Scripture, you are experiencing an intimate interaction with your Creator. And as if that weren't enough, that intimate interaction has turned into a relationship with the Creator through the flesh and blood of none other than the Creator's own Son, Jesus. And those two things then are probably things that we should not take for granted or assume that we fully understand. Every time you hear scripture read, you are hearing a message from your creator about the creator's ultimate hopes and dreams and plans. And every time you interact with Jesus, you are interacting with the Son of God, who is also someone who wants to be at home in your house and in your life. So the story we just read is somewhat familiar. Most of us know about it. And frankly, a lot of preachers will take a similar approach to this story by describing the various personalities involved and, and what makes certain people like Martha and certain people like Mary. And I, I don't want to go to any of that. I want to do something different with it. So let's just take the passage and break it down for a moment. Because Luke is trying to tell us some things that would seem obvious to him and to people of his generation and his scope and culture. The first line tells us that there was a village that Jesus entered 
And then the second sentence tells us a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Well, let's just stop right there and consider how remarkable that is. Even in scripture, you can see examples throughout of how it is the head of the household that would do such a thing to invite. In other words, men would invite special guests home for supper. It's not women. You read, for example, about how Moses uh, protected and helped Zipporah and her sisters at the watering well, and they invited her, uh, him to come home with them, but it was Jethro who invited Moses to supper. And that's because supper is more than, than a, uh, a meal in this case, it's an event. And so inviting a well-known rabbi who is uh, trending really well at this time, who has an entourage to your house is not something that a woman would do. And there are things implied in the household of Martha and Mary and their little brother Lazarus that uh, we have to take for granted because they're not stated plainly. And one of those is that there doesn't appear to be a mother or the father may be there, but he doesn't seem to have taken this role of inviting the rabbi to the house in any event. So the mere fact that Martha would go to the rabbi and invite him to come to their house is remarkable. What's more remarkable then is that the rabbi gladly accepted. The rabbi said, sure, we'll be over later. And of course, Martha would then begin the process of love and respect that would involve setting a beautiful table and preparing a marvelous meal. Another thing to keep in mind about this particular occasion is that it is a little bit like inviting the pastor over for supper used to be. <laughs> I'm really glad it used to be like that because if I got invited to your house, it wouldn't be anything like this. Like, like what people think. Um, there was a time when, even in our culture, a prominent religious leader or a local uh, prominent citizen or civic leader being invited to your house was more than a meal, it was an event. And the understanding was that there would be benefits to hosting such an event. And so it wasn't unlike that scene in The Chosen, in the very first episode of The Chosen, if you saw that new television series that's been so wonderful, the, the rabbi Nicodemus is visiting Capernaum and it's a big deal to host this religious leader for a meal. And it's understood that in return for that, there will be recognition, that there will be uh, a certain appropriation of that person's prominence in your home and your life from that point forward. And, and in the same way, it's expected that this person would teach and to a certain extent have their own ego stroked pretty thoroughly. And so, again, we see something in Bethany that is completely backward 
Just two miles away in the city of Jerusalem, everything is done according to the traditions and the cultural norms. And it's all about pride and position and status and prominence. It's all about wealth and it's all about propriety. It's, it's everything that the meal at Bethany was not. But at the time Martha invited Jesus to her house, this had not been established yet. And so she was doing something remarkable because she invited Jesus, the rabbi, to her house. All of that is hidden in this one sentence and then hidden in the very next sentence is the story of her sister Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. This is another violation of cultural taboos. This is something that would not happen two miles down the road in Jerusalem, but it happened in Bethany. Mary, a woman, sat with the men under the rabbi's teaching. Mary, I think, is probably somebody who, who, you know, there is a certain argument for being, uh, for discussing the personalities here, because obviously Martha's fastidious and, and uh, sort of a type A person who makes a plan and then sticks to that plan and she gets things done. And Mary's a little more frivolous and a little more in her head and, and a little more driven by whim and whimsy. And so Mary is somebody that doesn't really think that much about the fact that she was busy passing out something on a tray and was so intrigued by what Jesus was saying that she just put the tray down and sat down and began to listen. My guess is Mary had no idea that she had done it, that it was just instinctive for her to sit and listen to the most remarkable teaching she had ever heard. And Martha, being ever the one who attends to details, begins to notice that some of the people gathered there have noticed that Mary is in the room with the men, sitting under the teaching of the rabbi. And probably in part for love of Mary, she's trying to resolve this situation thoughtfully. She doesn't want to embarrass Mary and say, you're not supposed to be there with the men. You're supposed to be in here with the women preparing the meal. Now, don't think too much about this as a sort of sexist situation. Better to think of it in terms of its cultural and, and uh, uh, relevant to its particular situation in, in, uh, in time and, and uh, community. This was something that Martha willingly did. She felt compelled to serve the master with the skills that she had. And the men giving up their various tasks and responsibilities so that they might sit under his teaching, both were submitting themselves to Jesus. But Mary broke the rules. She served in the wrong place. And some people noticed it. Now, my guess is other people who were as compelled and overwhelmed by the truth and love that was coming from the mouth of the Lord probably didn't notice Mary any more than Mary noticed that she had done something wrong. But there were other people who had come for the event. There were other people who were there because the famous rabbi was coming to dinner. And so they noticed 
And Martha noticed, who noticed? And perhaps some of the women who had come to help her, because naturally, if the men had been invited to come and listen to the rabbi, they would brought their spouses and perhaps their daughters to help with the uh, meal and, and so forth, because for many, this was an event. Now, I can't tell you what Jesus was thinking, but I can tell you after I hear what he said about Mary and Martha, that he did not view this as an event. This was supper. <laughs> this was supper. And so when Martha says, Lord, don't you think she should be in here helping in the kitchen? It's her not so subtle way of saying and not sitting out here with the men. And that's when Jesus lovingly you know it's loving because he says Martha's name twice. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But only one thing is necessary, and Mary has figured that out. Now, we know because of this continued relationship with these people and the deep love that he felt for them that this was, this was just the beginning of this relationship and this was when the boundaries were being defined. And Jesus is reminding Martha that this isn't an event, this is a meal. And Mary's is welcome to sit under the teaching as anyone. In fact, Jesus sets a precedent and yet there's no indication that it was ever done before or since, which was that a rabbi who had attained a certain following invited women as much as men to follow along in the discipline or discipleship. So Jesus invites female disciples equally to male disciples, and that just wasn't done. Rabbis and teachers like that were said to have a yoke or uh, a burden that you were to bear if you were going to be their disciples. And the yoke was something you put over your shoulders to carry heavy weights like buckets of water. Uh, yokes are what you put over oxen so they can pull a cart or something. And so the yoke of a master like Jesus, the rabbi, was their stated expectations of their disciples. The disciplines that you would follow were the yoke of the master. And Jesus said that his yoke was easy. And he demonstrated that his yoke was for anyone, male or female, young or old any color, any race, any background, any lifestyle. His yoke was for everyone. What they had to recognize, and Mary seemed to have figured it out just a little bit sooner than Martha, was that Jesus was not in their house to be uh, lauded or celebrated, and he wasn't there to help elevate them in some way in their status, that he was there because he was hungry. And he wanted food and rest and friendship. He wanted a place to call home. 
And it's no accident that it's right outside of Jerusalem, a place that could never feel like home to him. And how ironic is it that the Son of God, actually God in the flesh, doesn't feel welcome in the place where the temple is that's supposed to be a house for God in the heart of the people. And so the last place Jesus feels at home is the place where they built a house for God. Now, isn't that amazing? And so when he gets done being abused, mistreated, misunderstood, put down and plotted against in Jerusalem, he wants a place where he can be among friends and feel at home. There are some places I can go where I feel that at home. And when I feel that at home, it means that I don't worry about what you think of me. I already know that you think highly of me because I feel at home in your home. And so I don't worry about whether I sit in the wrong chair. <laughs> I, don't, I don't worry about whether I dressed appropriately or brought a gift. I, I don't worry about these things because this is a place where I'm allowed to be at home when I'm not at my home. And our Lord's home is in heaven and he left it to go to a place where he's largely and almost universally rejected, but not in Bethany. And Mary was his first friend. Now let's move on to John chapter 11, and I want to read verses 1 to 7, and then verses 17 to 44. This is a story that you'll recognize. It's about Martha and Mary's little brother, Lazarus. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with, uh, with anointment, with an ointment, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Note the prominence that Mary got in Luke's or, or in uh, John's account. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, get this, so that the son of God could be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So he, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, decided to stay away for a couple of more days. <laughs> Think about that. A great deal of effort has been put into explaining to us how much he loves this family and how much he seeks to glorify God. Therefore, he's going to stay away so that Lazarus can get sicker. <laughs> Up to this point, that sounds pretty absurd, doesn't it? And then after this, he said to his disciples, now let's go to Judea again. Now, there's a part that I'm skipping over where the disciples argue with him about this decision because the haters in Jerusalem had figured out that he hangs out in Bethany by night. And so they've gone into Bethany to heckle and criticize and try to bring him down. And they felt that they were in fear for their lives the last time they were in Bethany. So the apostles tell Jesus, this seems like a bad idea, Jesus. I don't think we need to go back to Bethany. And Jesus hears nothing of it. And then he goes back to Bethany 
And as he's approaching the town, we get to this point. Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days and Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. It's interesting because Martha, being practical again, went and met them before they got to town, no doubt because visitors from Jerusalem were there to comfort and console them. In other words, those, those people who tried to get you the last time you were here are in town, okay? And I'm gonna head you off at the pass because you don't need to come, he's dead. You, you know, you're too late, so don't come in here and risk your own life and the life of your disciples uh, in order to find out that you got here late and Lazarus is dead. You see what she's doing there? She's, she's trying to protect Jesus. And then Jesus says, oh, and then Martha says, you know, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Well, there's a powerful statement too, by the way, something we forget and take for granted again, uh, familiarity breeding contempt. Jesus is clearly understood by Martha when he says, I can do nothing except the, what the Lord God does through me. In other words, Jesus is always talking about how the limitations that were placed upon him when he became flesh include that God does things through him. Jesus never takes the glory for the miracles. He never performs the miracles himself. In effect, he says, through me, God does these things. And then he is glorified and I am recognized as his son. So he always says that about himself that the signs are meant to prove that he is in fact the Messiah, the son of God. And Martha gets this, she understands because she says, I know Jesus, that whatever you do, it will come because you asked God for it and God never denies you anything. And then Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha's smart. And she says, yeah, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He's changing up her paradigm again. She believes in him, from, thoroughly believes in him. But at this point, she's trying to make him fit the, the, the model that all Jews follow. And what he's saying is, is you know who I am, but you don't know enough yet about who I am. Because I am the source of resurrection and life. In fact, he's making a statement there that should be pretty profound to any of the Jewish uh, religious leaders who might be listening. Because what he's saying is, is that, yeah, you hope for a resurrection, but the truth is it's not going to happen without me. That's an important lesson that Jesus is teaching as well. They all look forward to a resurrection, but he says, I'm the resurrection, which is basically God's way of saying through Jesus that there is no resurrection apart from him. This scripture is so packed and it's all happening in Bethany because in Bethany, 
eyes and minds and hearts and ears are open. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He's describing the resurrection on the last day, which we read about in Revelation when the dead are raised and those who are alive are transformed into the resurrection form. And then he looks at Martha and he says, do you believe this? And Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. She got it. She got it. And then for no particular reason, the verses change rapidly into a picture of her going to reach Mary, who's still back at the house. We don't know what Mary's doing, but she's back at the house. And she runs to Mary and says, hey, the teacher wants you. He's here and he wants you. Come on. And so Mary takes off running too, because apparently she didn't know what Martha knew. And perhaps Martha's protecting her because, you know, she's very sensitive. And ever the big sister, she's trying to protect Mary. And Mary goes running to Jesus. And it's interesting that it points out that uh, she thought that uh, Martha was going to go to the tomb to weep. In other words, they believe that it's too late, Lazarus is dead, and, and Mary says the teacher's here and he wants you, so she just assumes that they're going to go over to Lazarus' tomb to cry. And then the shortest verse in the entire Bible happens. Jesus wept. And the shortest verse in the entire Bible is one that I could probably spend an hour and a half breaking down with you. Why did Jesus weep? Why did he cry? Maybe because death was never part of the plan and God hates death as much as we do. Perhaps it's the suffering and the pain that everyone's experiencing. Even he is experiencing a little bit of grief because of the choices he made. Who knows why Jesus wept, but he was moved by the circumstances. And then Mary says, even Mary, sweet Mary, who is so, so into Jesus, who totally understands who he is and who would drop anything to listen to him speak. She says, Jesus, if you would have been here, he would not have died. And Jesus wept. And then somebody there you know, maybe those ones Martha was trying to protect Jesus from, says, you know, if he can open the eyes of the blind and he, he can help those who are crippled and lame, then why couldn't he keep this man from dying? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Sometimes people will complain without any just cause. And then Jesus, deeply moved, went to the tomb which was a cave with a stone rolled across it. And he said, take away the stone. And Martha, ever practical Martha says, um, Jesus, he's been in there four days and the weather's been kind of warm and humid. I think this is a really bad idea. <laughs> and 
Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted his eyes up to the father and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they too would believe that you sent me. Isn't that great? Like, I didn't have to say anything about this. I could have just, you know, stayed home. It would have happened just the same. We have other miracles in the Bible that work just like that. But instead, he's invested in the people of Bethany and he wants them to have their belief taken to another level. So this is his explanation for why he waited a couple of more days because it was so important that they get lifted to a new level. They get, they get their faith jacked up a little bit because they have that much potential, I think. And so Jesus tells them to roll away the stone and calls out, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. <laughs> There's so many ways to take this story and stand in utter awe of it. When you're in a Bethany frame of mind, you're ready to see Jesus do whatever Jesus says he's going to do. And there is a special reward when you get to see him do something that you could not even imagine. Go to the nearest cemetery someday and stand in front of a crypt, you know, one of those above ground buildings that contain the bodies of the dead. And, and just imagine someone standing there saying to whomever is inside, come out and imagine them walking out. Really. There's so many lessons we could take away from this part of our story of the people of Bethany, and in particular, this one household. But the three things I'd like to see us take away from it are these. First, if you're gonna receive Christ, you have, to, you have to welcome all that he is. You have to welcome him when he says that it's okay if women sit around and listen to him, even if that isn't considered acceptable. It's okay if he says, I won't be coming when you think I should, but I'll get there when the time is right. It's okay for him to operate according to what he thinks is best because this is accepting Christ the way they did in Bethany. Bethany. The next thing is to receive Christ and everybody that, go with, that goes with him. Everybody who's part, in other words, if you were one of those people who accepted Christ as this great rabbi, but you were offended and stopped paying attention to him because a woman dared to sit down in the room, then you missed the point. And if you get so sidetracked in church that you stop hearing the sermon because you're obsessed with the way that someone's acting in church and you don't like the way they dress or you don't like the way they, they sit or the way they get up and walk around or maybe because their baby's crying or something and all of that is distracting you from hearing the word of God, then you may be missing the fact that these were people that were invited just the same as Mary was invited. And the next thing to do is receive Christ by giving him first place in your life. When he is with you, 
He is your highest priority. Nothing else matters. The implied truth in scripture is, is that every time he was in Jerusalem, he spent the night at Mary and Martha's house. And when he showed up and brought whoever he brought with him, they were welcome. And they emptied the fridge and the cupboard and they took care of him. Plain and simple, he was priority number one. If the critics from Jerusalem were around, so be it. He's more important than their opinion of our little village and our little family. Frank Viola says, all service must flow from communion with the Lord if it is to have any lasting value at all. Otherwise, it's subject to burnout and bailout, plain and simple. Don't take him for granted. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you for your word. I ask that you burn it upon our hearts. And I pray that you make us Bethany believers who live like Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the others who trusted him so much. For your sake we pray, amen. Amen.